All right. Today, the word of God comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 through 13. Uh, let's give our full attention to God's word for us this morning. Let's posture ourselves to receive from him. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the reading of God's holy word for us this morning. Let's now receive the preaching of God's word. Thanks be to God for his word. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for reading it. Um, we come to the conclusion of Shalom, not a topic that I would choose or prefer or enjoy to any degree, but tonight, tonight, today, <laughs> today, uh, we've got to unpack scandals inside the church. Uh, I would ask of you, would you pray with me? At this moment, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word cuts and divides and discerns and reaches to the deepest and darkest places. Pray that your holy word would do all of its work that you intend. Bring us, O oh Lord, conviction, repentance, courage, compassion, and change us. Lord, please change us. Change your church with the gospel of your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom for scandals inside the church. This is much more of a topical message today. We started at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Where Apostle Paul says, hey, his first order of business as an apostle filled with the Holy Spirit with the authority of God is to discern and to judge those inside the church. Inside the church, we need to purge and clean house of the church. So that's where we begin. I want to avoid talking about scandals publicly, but there is an unrelenting, devastating, painful reality for too many people. Just too many people inside the church, inside the Protestant church, inside a church that is very, very close, affiliated in our beliefs of Christ and salvation and the gospel and the Bible. And I want to start by saying that there's a special kind of scandal when people use pastoral position. Or the platform, the privilege, the power, and the sacred trust, the sacred calling to prey upon the very people we are called to serve. That is a special kind of scandal. Pastor, why are you bringing this up now? What's going on today? Uh, two weeks ago, close to a 300-page report conducted by an independent third party into the Southern Baptist Church, the largest, richest, probably most well-known evangelical church in the U.S. of A., submitted a report entitled the Sexual Abuse Task Force Report. 
In some, there's been over 700, over 700 victims of sexual abuse by clergy over the span of 20 years inside the church, usually young, female, and the most vulnerable. You know, it seems to be that our news cycle, sometimes I can't handle it. I, I really can. I have to like discern and tone down the news cycle because it's mass shootings, scandals, like on an endless loop. I thank God sometimes for the escape and the recreation of sports, just watching or doing some exercise. But a lot of the mourning or lamenting or grieving that I've done for leaders past and now this recent report has morphed into kind of a new, I would say almost fury and anger that I've asked all our leadership to pray for for me as I've been preparing and thinking about addressing this topic. Although there are many Christian leaders who may never face the full scope of an investigation or justice handed, handed down, the scriptures tell us the judgment of God, that perfect and final judgment, the reckoning that God will bring is far more awful and just than any human court can bring. That does not excuse the church and the human courts from bringing justice, but it is the promise and the certainty of Scripture at the end of history. Today, I really would want to guide and walk with you through some reckonings that I've been going through. Second, repentance, a call to repentance. Third, recovery of the gospel. And I'm just going to close with two final pleas. Okay? Got to reckon with some things. Repentance, second. Third, recover the gospel. Or else, what else do we got? And for some final pleas, <clears throat> some reckonings, I'm going to ask certain questions that you may have, or I may just ask them aloud if this is helpful for you. I want to reckon with this first question. What do you do with someone's books and teachings and legacy after a scandal? I've lost count. There's too many celebrities, leaders, pastors, bloggers, singers, right? gurus that we used to look up to. We have certain favorites that have fallen I will say, you know, as much as mass murderers can teach math, okay, scandalized, disgraced Christian leaders can and have taught truth, okay, about God, about the scriptures, about spiritual realities, and maybe even about life. But I'm glad and relieved to tell you, we don't have to recommend them anymore. You see, you don't have to rely on those favorite leaders who have fallen. You don't have to. You can go to much better, much better. There are authors throughout the entirety of the Holy Scriptures who were caught in scandals, who tragically fell, who committed unconscionable sins and crimes. But somehow, God chose to forgive them, redeem them, restore them, and reuse them. And their writings, their teaching, it's infallible now. It's infallible now. 
you know, your pastor and all the teachers you could ever listen to, it's always mixed with some error. And our lifestyles may actually pollute and corrupt what we teach. But please, I wonder how many have listened and studied all the way, just these biblical authors. The Holy Spirit uses it infallibly now, precious and pure. Second thing to reckon with, what does it mean for me? Okay, what does it mean for me as a fellow pastor, leader, speaker? As a person who has maybe some influence and people just grant that. I know less and less these days, yes, but you just grant some trust and some ability to influence you. Let me read James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. With greater strictness. One of the great gaps in the life of pastors or speakers or teachers is self-reflection, self-examination. It's not just to prepare and kind of shine this thing and make it all harness and just make it all as effective or polished as possible so that it could somehow impact you. <laughs> no, this verse tells me Teachers, pastors, leaders have first got to do the hard work, and it takes work. It takes work. You got to pay attention to it. You got to concentrate. This is what I did during my recent sabbatical. It's not fun. A lot of times, it's just not fun, but it is so necessary. It's crucial because you will never, never be more. Subject to the greater strictness of God, more liable, more vulnerable, more surprised or shocked than if you've lived a whole life without any self-reflection or self-examination. Apostle Paul tells young Timothy in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself. Show yourself as an example. Show some progress there. So self-examination. Ah, better than self-examination, though, is regular, normal, healthy, greater accountability with other people. There's one Ravi Zacharias whose insights and illustrations and his, his approach uh, to apologetics and evangelism I, I greatly admired and used. But upon his death, a full investigation was unveiled of just brazen, long-standing patterns of hypocrisy and sexual abuse. It is reported that he would speak away from home 200 days out of the year. 200 days out of the year. Few people can handle that. Now, I'm not just talking about the travel, the wear and tear. I'm not talking about the bad diets or, you know, sleep, sleeping at bad hotels and bad beds and you just get sick. No, I'm talking about your walking with God, your conscience, your inner purity, your lifestyle day in and day out, two and a days of the year, apart from your wife and your family. You know what the New Testament recommends if you're married with family? You should spend quality, a lot of time with your family and love on them and be loved. You know, the New Testament recommends is you need to be accountable and regular with your friends. You need friendships. You need friendships. You need your peers. 
And of course, the New Testament recommends you need to be part of a local church, like really part of a local church, like known and shepherded and prayed for by name at a local church. And you can turn around and do that for other people. And I thank God for the Presbyterian model of government, that at least in a Presbyterian model of government, you have plurality. Plurality, checks and balances, there's other people. Hey, senior pastor, you're not a solo pastor, you're not a dictator, you're not the Pope. You can't just come up with decisions by yourself. You got to check that through. Part of what it means for me as a fellow pastor and leader is self-examination and regular, healthy, normal examination, fellowship, and accountability with people I love and trust. Third thing to reckon with, what does this mean for the local church here at CCSC, one among many ministries and networks I lead? I happen to lead a couple. And here's what I want to say. Leaders must lament and create environments in which it is absolutely safe to report abuse. Leaders, especially of the church, inside the church, of all the places, of all the belongings and communities or clubs or organizations you could ever belong to, the church of Jesus Christ ought to be the safest, absolutely safest place to report abuse. In all of our gatherings or interactions or at the office or at home or anywhere else where victims of abuse will not be shunned, silenced, dismissed or shamed, disbelieved, isolated, maybe even gaslighted, or just further abused and left alone. What does it mean for any leader that has anything to do with the church of Jesus Christ? Oh, safety. Safety. I mean, I don't know if I need to say this, but, you know, CCSC staff and leadership and myself, we, along with going through mandatory reporting training, we are committed to and prioritize and growing in every measure of safeguards and care for you. Back to the Southern Baptist Church report done by a third party. One of the former presidents, there's credible evidence that he sexually assaulted another pastor's wife. The executive committee, which is an administrative committee, but you know how things get when it gets politically corrupt. So very few people. Now hear me right. The Southern Baptist Church, there's very few people who use politics to control, filter all information, lie, and cover up a lot of atrocities. Well, that executive committee, that few-numbered group of people, never told Autonomous local churches that some in the pastoral position had been accused of sexual abuse in the past. The report also includes back in March 2007, Father Thomas Doyle warned 
Southern Baptist leaders, that you will repeat the same mistakes that the Catholic Church made if you do not implement structural reform early. Sad to say all the warnings were dismissed. Actually, all the warnings were just kind of covered. Just pile away, maybe under a desk. And more tragic, more tragic, is that victim upon victim upon victim, hundreds, and you know I'm scratching the surface, right? This is a fraction of victims of sexual abuse. One in three, or one in three to four of every one of my sisters and moms and daughters have been sexually abused. Victim upon victim upon victim, they were silenced, maligned, and they had to feel like they had to fight all alone. All alone. Those are just some reckonings I'm going through. Those are some reckonings our leadership of our church is going to go through. Here's second. Repent. Repent. Now, I have a thesis, a theory, that the thing which is most misused that can scale up, you know how businesses talk about how can we scale that, how can we get bigger and bigger, you know, bigger and greater and brighter and uh, let me put it in the reverse. The thing that you can use to scale up massive suffering and abuse across the face of church history is to misuse scripture to cover up sins. We have to repent of that. You have to repent of that. I got to repent of that. I got to do a better job as a pastor and teacher to tell you not to misuse scripture. Here's first and foremost, a verse that just keeps popping up everywhere. And I'm not just talking about the Southern Baptist Church. I'm talking about many other churches that are too close to home for my own heart. I've seen this verse misused. Here it is. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 reads, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is an appeal to Old Testament jurisprudence where you want careful attestation to the truth. Absolutely, verify. Is that a credible allegation? We're all for that. Two or three witnesses, especially when it comes before an officer, an elder, a pastor, a leader. However, however, when it comes to sins of a sexual abuse nature, rarely are there any witnesses. And this verse can be misused to completely just bypass and ignore credible allegations. Also, there is the fact that very few, very few, if at all, would make up an allegation of sexual abuse against a pastor or a priest. We got to handle scripture better. We have to apply scripture better. Here's a second verse, often misused Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is marvelous in its wisdom. 
This is the rule to conflict resolution, to the future of all your health and relationships, in fact. How you resolve your hurt, broken relationships in this fashion is the way that the Bible prescribes. However, there are exceptions. And again, we must exercise wisdom in our interpretation and usage of scriptures. You should never go one-on-one and meet with your abuser. You should never go back to the abuser for counseling or therapy or follow-up or how to tell your story. You should never, ever, ever be left again alone with someone who was in religious authority or position who violated it in those very situations before. Never meet with an abuser one-on-one. That is not what this verse is talking about. This verse is not telling you, go meet with your abuser one-on-one. Please don't. Your pastor is telling you this. Second, this is often used to conduct internal in-house investigations and come up with the church's own resolutions should such allegations arise. You can see how that's just, it's just very safe, right? It's not even a long stretch, right? You just take this verse and say, oh, well, you know, church and state, and we have our own laws, and we have our own authorities, and, you know, we know what we're doing. Don't intrude from the outside. We're going to take care of this on our own. Mm. Reality check. Lot, most? I mean, I don't know how many churches. Most churches are not equipped or trained to interview witnesses, determine if allegations are false, to conduct internal investigations. You are not trained. We're not equipped. Maybe few of you are, but churches as a whole? And how is that independent? How is it objective? Will it be thorough? And if needed, will the internal investigation, the internal kind of cleanup job, will you clean house if needed? You know, even in the Old Testament, there's different punishments for different kinds of sins. There's different categories. There's different investigations. There's different type of procedures that should happen depending upon the nature of the sin. So first misuse, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, sometimes and often is used to bypass credible allegations because there's no witnesses there. Second, Matthew 18, verse 15, is used to conduct internal in-house investigations and even try to come up with your in-house resolutions. I find that enormously problematic. And it has been proven over and over and over again as unjust. Here's third. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God's revelation. Indeed, all are sinful. All have a propensity susceptible to sin. Doctrine of original sin. Doctrine of total depravity. All are sinners by nature. Do not ever overestimate. Do not ever overlook. Do not be haughty. Pride comes before a fall. 
However, this doesn't mean that all sins are equal. You see, the doctrine of original sin means all are tainted, inflicted, bent, addicted, idolized. You cannot break it on your own power. You will never break this by your own willpower. Your enslavement to yourself to sin. All are. All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not one. However, to say that you are susceptible to all sins does not mean each individual is susceptible to committing the same sins and to committing the same sins to the same extent. There's a New Testament standard for public officers, pastors, elders, leaders, deacons. Go read it. I can't wait to vote for our women in leadership. Women in leadership, shepherdess and deacon, it's the same standards. It doesn't change. And hey, if I commit certain acts even once, like one time, I will tell you, and I've instructed our elders, uh, you got to fire me, you got to disqualify me, you kick me out. God forgives me, loves me. I, I pray to God I'm still going to the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus' work, not my work. But uh, I don't get the privilege and the position and the honor and the joy of leading and being a pastor again or anytime soon. Some sins in the Bible are punished shockingly, much more swiftly than other sins. Some of why our justice system is based upon, again, the Judeo-Christian worldview. So let's not misuse scriptures to minimize, downplay, or cover up certain acts that are so evil and criminal in nature, which should be dealt with immediately and appropriately. The abuse or the violation of your own congregation members, and especially children, is far, 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 far more damaging, right, than like you breaking your intermittent fast. Right? Like, it's far more heinous, right, than you skipping out on a small group. Or you just have a complaining bad attitude. That's pretty bad too, though. Or you skip out on Sunday worship. What is the impact? What's the trauma? What's the living nightmare that is created when the perpetrator is a pastor or a priest who, in many people's eyes, represent God? And the very one who represents God violates and robs you of life as you used to know it. It It dawned on me how horrific and how much of a problem this is. And it has to be, it must be addressed, rectified, reformed, repented of. What other vocation or job in the world can you have where you have access, access, to people of all ages, 
You can have access behind closed doors. It's deemed confidential. And tragically, even when accused or caught, you can continue and restore in that occupation because you're a pastor or priest. Listen, the misuse of scriptures, oh, the misuse of scriptures has been the cause of rampant, inexcusable scandal, abuse, suffering unleashed from inside the church. And mind you, it was the number one best tactic of Satan himself against Jesus. Against Jesus. You know, how, does Je- how is Satan going to bring CCSC down? How is he going to completely just wreck this church? How do you think? How do you think? All he has to do is twist, make you more ignorant, make you blase and casual. You don't think this really matters, how you understand and read and apply the scriptures. Just, ah, uh, everything's fine. Just instinctively trust that pastor. He's been here for like 20 years. As soon as you are misusing scriptures for the cover-up of sins, I dare tell you, I'm not quite sure if that's a church of God. Reckonings, repent, repent. Ah, okay. We got to recover something. We need some recovery here, right? I've heard some version of this over and over and over and over again. Hey, you shouldn't really talk about scandals and sins and just all the inside internal stuff of the evangelical church in America. Don't talk about it too much because scandals wreck and ruin the church. Scandals ruin the gospel or the work of the gospel. Have you heard some version of this? Right? So when a scandal erupts, some celebrity pastor falls and then people are trying to like, hey, oh, church, that's gossip or slander. Don't talk about it too much because that is actually going to wreck our church, our brand, or our name, our platform. And then it actually is going to get in the way of the gospel. My answer to that is yes and no, yes and no. I'll say yes to the first part. Scandal should wreck, wreck the abuser, the church, the culture, the institution, or the systems that created and allowed that to go on for way too long. It should wreck it. It should ruin it. Like, Dead. Level that building. Just get rid of it. Rebirth. Do it all over. Do it brand new. That's good. That would be a good thing in certain cases. When it was so rotten, it was so godless, it was so arrogant. It was so blind. It was so about just power and fame and money and popularity, so much so that scores of people have been victimized. Okay, you should bring that down, let it die. Jesus can resurrect. Let's bring up some new churches and new organizations to take that place. Yes, scandals wreck and ruin the church. Second part, I've got to disagree. Scandals ruin the gospel? Scandalous sins, like shocking. Oh, I can't believe so-and-so did that. What? Again, have you read the Bible? Scandals can ruin the gospel. How can anyone ruin the gospel? Really? Really? 
Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus died for sinners. Even the worst of all sinners. Paul's talking about himself. Can scandalous sins ruin the gospel? But the gospel, do you know what it means? It's saying the gospel exists because of your scandalous sins. The gospel happened in the person and the work of Jesus Christ because you are so despicable. Because nobody else may love you. Because the whole world may think you are disgusting. The gospel comes down to you when you hit the bottom. Hey, listen. The gospel is not shocked or undone by our sins. It thrives. It does its work because of our sins. The gospel is not darkened or disproven. The gospel shines brighter right in the middle of that storm in the darkest pit of hell because Jesus came down to die for the worst, the worst of sinners. Apostle Paul, remarkably in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, he uses the word, he says, I rejoice. Like, it makes me really, really happy. Like, I'm cheering on. I'm, I'm just, like, thrilled that there are a bunch of people who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what he goes on to say? He says, but they're doing it with the worst possible motives. <laughs> they're doing it to be rivalries with me, or they're doing it maybe for the fame or whatever glory they perceived or the money. I don't care. Why does he care? Because the gospel is impervious. It's invincible. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ doesn't need a better perfect you. Jesus Christ doesn't need NDAs. He doesn't need better attorneys. He doesn't need greater crisis management. Hey, let's improve our social media and our PR. Jesus Christ doesn't need like really wealthy billionaire donors. Did you know that? Did you know the gospel doesn't need that? Do you know what Jesus wants? He wants people who need him to do the saving. Jesus came for people who are so wrecked and so ruined. They can't save themselves. And all they can do is cry out, God, save me. Jesus, save me. One unmistakable mark that you are getting and recovering the gospel, especially a largely Asian-American church like ours, Asian-American church like CCSE, one mark that you're recovering the gospel is what we do every Sunday, at least on Sunday, is to confess your sins. I mention it as parents. There might be no more powerful demonstration of the gospel than a parent confessing his or her own fault, his or her own sin, and demonstrating your own need and repentance toward Jesus. But to confess our sins, you know what the, the gospel says? Jesus lessens and takes all your shame. 
If you really believe that, look, Jesus lessens and takes all your shame to the cross. That means there's more and more safety to confess. Jesus took all the shame. That means you can be more open and transparent to confess. Confession of sin. Confession of sin. That's how you recover the gospel. Can you picture with me if the church became known for being quick and ready to confess her own sins, her own junk, her own stuff, then being known as a church, quick to downplay, excuse, demonize, and blame shift toward this evil, wicked world? Can you picture with me what the church would be come if she were much more known, not to pretend like you're at least a little better or a lot better than all the people outside the church, but you're better at confessing your own stuff? Because I've never met a non-believing friend or neighbor in my entirety of my life or to this day that despises or mocks Christians in church because we fail to be perfect. Have you ever met someone like that? Like, fine, maybe that's a very exceptional few. They just have it out for churches and Christians. Like, they just hate them no matter what. No, I've never met someone who derides me when they find out I'm a pastor or their church because, well, you're like not perfect. No. But I do find that non-believing neighbors and friends in the world, there'll be an avalanche of derision and mockery and scoffing when the church leaves crimes, sins, abuse, trash, unchecked. You even cover it over. You just kind of let it ride. And just more people suffer. I think that kind of skepticism or mockery is well deserved. Don't you? Reckon. Repent. But recover the gospel. Two please. Just two please. Number one. Don't look away and don't walk away. Don't look away or walk away. The prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. The first five verses. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Next verses. So the law is paralyzed and the justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. 
This is God speaking. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. How raw, how honest, how expressive is the prophet. He doesn't look away. He actually tells God, why do you make me look? Which leaves me so infuriated and exhausted. And James Baldwin, yeah, the James Baldwin, once observed, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. None of us here in this room can stop all evil. Of course not. But you can help restrain it. At our church, we never, we, we, we try to filter, we got to discern for you, look, you don't have to solve all problems and alleviate all suffering, because you'll die. But as we heard last week, can you start with people next to you? Can you do it here in this community? Can you do it for your city? Can you do it in your church? Can you pick one? You know that one thing that you can't look away from? You know the one thing that it seems like you just keep having to focus on? Like you can't get it out of your conscience. It won't leave your heart. Maybe that's something God wants you to look at. Maybe that's something God wants you to do something about. And our cultural moment is so, so good. It is so much better than my generation at this. Look and weep. Look and wail. Look and outcry. Call it out. Call it out. Protest. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want to point you back to the prophet, how he walks all his weeping and his wailing to God. And he never walks away from God. Don't look away or walk away. No, no, no. Please don't look away or walk away. Our country and our world doesn't just need a lot more of you in the culture wars. Yes, on abortion, on sexuality, on immigration, on climate change, on the war in Ukraine, and now the scandals wrecking inside the church. Hear me clear. The culture doesn't just need a lot more of you. They need you to walk with God. They need more of your God. They need your God. And if you walk away with, from God, your weeping is in vain. Your activism impotent. You are hopeless, although you say there's hope. You know, following Jesus Christ, it gets really, really incomprehensible and hard at times. And I, I'm certainly not trying to put myself in the category where other people who are suffering for the gospel, like, I, I, this is just, like, I'm on just stage one or two, right? But even here, it gets hard, hard following Jesus. And I love when Apostle Peter, well, Peter, who came up to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 68, while all these people are just walking away, they're just walking away, because Jesus just doesn't give you what you want all the time. Like, Jesus doesn't make sense. That you're going to have to accept. And did you know that if Jesus doesn't make sense, that actually makes perfect sense? 
How can God make sense? How can God make sense, especially after the cross and the gospel? How can God make sense that a scandal wrecking the church might actually be something he's doing with the church? You know, he told Habakkuk, you know, if even I told you what I'm up to, you wouldn't believe it. Because the Habakkuk, he says, I'm raising up an army, your arch enemies, who are just going to be so ruthless and they're going to wreck your country. But I'm going to use that for some reason. And here, Peter says to Jesus, while everyone's walking away, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to go when he is the truth and the life? Second plea, first, don't look away or walk away. Don't look away or walk away. Second, speak up and advocate. Speak up and advocate. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 8 reads, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth for those who cannot open their mouths. They do not have access. They do not have a voice. They're not represented. They're marginalized. Why was Uvalde hit, massacred? Maybe some factors. Poorer part of town. Hispanic part of town. Open your mouth. Why was Ahmad Arbery hunted down like a modern lynching? Open your mouth. Advocate. Why are Asian American grandmas getting beat over the head, blindsided? Maybe then Asian American churches, oh, now I care about that one. Good. Open your mouth, advocate with the strongest condemnation, especially when it comes to any abuse or sexual abuse done by clergy. Do not equivocate. I will not equivocate. Our leaders will not equivocate because this is what the scriptures tell us to do. Darlene Parsons She's the founder of a Christian watchdog outlet. She's a former home health nurse. <laughs> she goes by D online. And uh, she founded Wartburg Watch is the name of the watchdog outlet. Um, it's named after Wartburg Castle where Martin Luther hid from Pope Leo X's condemnation back in 1512. According to the Washington Post on D, she goes by online, or Darlene Parsons. This is remarkable. Dee herself was never molested or abused. She didn't suffer anywhere near to the survivors that she works with. And I do want to say that if you have been abused or traumatized, or you hear of someone else who's been abused or traumatized, and they have a powerful story of pain, I say this cautiously, you know, that doesn't automatically make you helpful or wise or compassionate and healing for other victims. Because here's one who has never gone through it, and yet she is remarkable in the type of help and healing she's bringing. She considers this quote from C.S. Lewis as her driving force. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it. 
and the backs of the proud will be broken. A load so heavy that only the humble, those who really, really need and cry out to God, can carry it. But if you're proud, if you're self-reliant, or you're going to save the world all by yourself, it won't last. And D. Parsons' mission in life is to lighten other people's loads by risking the same reproach, fear, and self-doubt that survivors feel. And isn't this the measure of a church anyway? Isn't this what defines a church? It's not how many people show up. It's not how many secrets are held in shame and secrecy to protect those in power. But it's a community of people with shared faith who care enough about one another to build sanctuary. To build sanctuary. It's safe here. It's safe here. Because Jesus was wrecked to make it safe here. Jesus lives in his people to make it safe here. The people who reckon and repent and recover the gospel, there it is safe. Speak up and advocate on behalf of those who have been wrecked. I found it funny. D keeps speaking up and advocating for victims of sexual abuse while admitting this. I struggle through every post to write in such a way that people don't think I'm a moron. A former health nurse. She struggles to write in such a way so that people just doesn't think she's stupid. I'll close with this as we spend some time in prayer today. Um, a local brother of mine, PJ Tobian, who works with the Sola Network, I shared it to raise awareness and to pray and to grow and, you know, in any way we can. Shared it with all of our leaders at CCSC. It's on Sola Network. I, I recommend it. It's a must read. He's a full fellow Southern Baptist church pastor calling out and lamenting and responding to the scandal of the task report. And He says his wife is a survivor. And I got to admit to you, I was so wrecked by how much fire and holy wreckage he felt on behalf of all the sisters in the church and in his denomination. He's not going to walk away. He's going to try to make this better. And as he's dealing with fury and anger and mourning, and articulated better than I could ever articulate. It's like a voice for all leaders and pastors that we could share it. He led me to this psalm. And here's where we close. Okay, Psalm chapter 10. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O oh Lord, you who hear the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So that no man will strike terror no more. 
If you hate this stuff, if you're disgusted by this stuff, or you yourself feel right now the wreckage and the shame and the harm from abuse, God's coming. He's our hope. He is alive. And he hates it way more. He hates it way more. That's why he brought down his son to be wrecked. Oh, but those who don't trust and follow and behave and act like his son, there will be a terror that is poured out. More exacting, more completing, more thorough, more holy and just. God is bringing shalom. He will bring shalom. We must follow him. Let's pray. Let me just give you a couple of moments. Would you pray with me? I don't know where you're at. I, I want to spend these holy next moments. When you come before the presence of Jesus, you will find no one safer. You will find no one safer. Or he gave his life up for you. He died so you could live. He lost his beauty to make you beautiful. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are infinitely worthy. You are chaste and pure in his sight. Because of what Jesus has done for you. You can pray whatever is on your heart and we who care and want to grow together. Oh, cry out to the Lord for repentance and recovery. And let's never walk away. Let's speak and advocate. Let me, let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, so I pray for anyone listening in and anyone who is here. Please bring each one who cries out for you into safety. Please bring us safely to you. We pray for our church. Pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Southern Baptist churches. We pray for all churches who proclaim Jesus is God, risen King, Savior of every sinner that you would have such mercy and holiness upon us to undo, bring us all to lamentations and repentance. So, O oh Lord, we might be the people, not only you love, but the people who love, who love and speak and advocate and heal. Oh Lord, hear us, we pray. Hear us all together now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.